Well, again, I want to say good morning to you. And thank you for joining us this morning. I want to encourage you now, grab your Bibles, and if you have a paper copy, open it too. Uh, if you're carrying a digital copy, let's turn it on too. Uh, if you don't have either one of those with you, that's okay, because right there in the pew in front of you, we've got a copy of God's Word, and we want to encourage you to, to open it with us to the book of Romans. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 8 this morning as we continue to talk about uh, the roadblocks that keep us from being the men and women of God that we're supposed to be. Uh, for those of you that may not be very familiar with uh, Scripture, there the book of Romans is uh, early in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians at Rome. It lays out uh, a lot of the core beliefs that we as Christians have. And so it's a great book to read and to understand here. Uh, but I want to begin with a, a little story that I found in a book by Richard Hoffler called Will Daylight Come? And in the book there's this uh, illustration about a young boy and his sister. They go to visit their grandparents for a week in the summer. And upon arriving there, uh, the grandparents give the, the little boy, Johnny, a slingshot. And every day, Johnny goes out and into the woods, and he's practicing a slingshot. Man, he can't hit anything. So one day, he's walking back in, gets to his grandparents' yard, and he sees his grandmother's pet duck. You act like y'all know where this is going. He says, being a little boy, I'm not going to hit the duck. So he picks up a rock, puts it in the slingshot, pulls it back, boom, dead duck. Well, he panics. And so he grabs the, the duck and puts him in the wood pile, hoping that nobody saw it, only to turn around and realize that his sister had seen the whole thing. But she hadn't seen anything. And so later that day, uh, uh, the grandmother after dinner says, Sally, why don't you help me? Uh, wash the dishes. And, and Sally goes, you know what, Grandma? Johnny told me earlier today he wanted to help you with the dishes. And, and she leans over to Johnny and says, remember the duck. So the next day, Grandpa comes in and, and asks the grandkids, hey, who wants to go fishing? Uh, of course, they're, Johnny's like, oh, yeah, I want to go fishing. I want to go fishing. Uh, but Grandma goes, wait a minute. Grandpa, I, I need Sally to stay with me and help prepare the meals for later today. Sally goes, that's okay, Grandma. Johnny told me he wants to do it. And, he le and she leans over and goes, remember the duck. So after this goes on for a few days of Johnny doing his chores and Sally's, he gets really frustrated, and he's over it. And so he, he goes to his grandma and says, Grandma, I need to talk to you. And he says, she says, sure, what's wrong? I killed your duck. I'm really sorry. And the grandma just looks at Johnny and, and says, I know you did, Johnny. I saw the whole thing. I was standing at the window. But because I love you, I forgave you. And I was just wondering how long you were going to let Sally make a slave of you. We laugh because it's funny, but that illustration teaches us that sin enslaves us. Forgiveness frees us. See, the proposition I want to give you this morning is this, that if you and I would remember the promise of God that when we come to him in faith, we're forgiven of all of our sins, then it would free us up 
to no longer believe the lies of Satan that cause so much guilt and paralyzes our faith. In fact, the one big thing this morning is very simply this, that because of Jesus' death, we can be forgiven for all of our sins. Now, how is this possible? Well, let's look at it together. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand as we honor God's word? Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is reading God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we just want to praise you for your word and the opportunity that we've already had to worship this morning through music. And now, God, as we continue to worship uh, through studying your word, we pray, uh, God, that we would humble ourselves and come before you just to sit at your feet and to hear the truth of your word. And that, Father, we would not only hear it, but through your Holy Spirit, we would go and we would live this out. And so, God, we ask this morning that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, this morning, the, the one big thing is very simply this, that because of Jesus' death, we can be forgiven of all our sins. Now, if you've spent any time around Westlake, you've heard me say this an awful lot. Context is king. In other words, we want to understand a verse as it is, not as maybe we want it to be. So let's talk about what is the context of Romans chapter 8. Well, back it up into a chapter, all right? There in Romans 7, Paul is talking about being justified or saved by faith. And he says in in Romans 7, 9, that we are sinners by birth. That is, every one of us, since the fall of man in Genesis, have been inherited this sin nature. Not only we are sinners by birth, but then in uh, going on a little further, in verses 14 to 19, Paul says that we are sinners by choice. So that is, you and I choose to willfully rebel against what God says is right. And because of this, Paul is saying you cannot save yourselves. That salvation is by grace through faith. Fact of the matter, he summarizes his argument in verse 24 by saying this, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And then in one verse, really the first word of verse 25, Paul changes the entire tone of this passage. Look, it says this, but I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can't save myself, but God has made a way. And this is what he is going to begin to unpack for us in chapter 8, the first several verses of it. Because what we need to understand is we either are justified by faith or we are justified by works. Now, there are a lot of people, 
uh, especially in today's world, that believe that in order to get into heaven, I got to be a good person and I got to do good things. All right, Paul's going to specifically be addressing this in our text to say that's not the case because Jesus' death contains a lot of significance for you and I. The first thing I would say is found in verse 1, and it's this. Jesus' death for us means that we are no longer condemned. Notice how Paul opens this chapter. There is therefore, now that word therefore is connecting to what he just said, to what he's about to say. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That is a holy declaration by God that you are not guilty. If you are in Christ, which means you have placed all your faith in him, you have been declared by the sovereign God to be not guilty. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't do it. We know that we all sin. We know that we all willfully rebel against what God says is right. However, what God has done through the death of Jesus is he has paid for that sin. He has declared us not guilty. And so what this ultimately means for you and I is this. We don't need to live in guilt for things that God has put away from us. Because guilt is paralyzing a lot of you this morning. You walked in here with a two-ton boulder sitting on you. And it's the guilt that you feel over all the things that you have done in your life. But what we need to understand is if we have been saved by Christ, they have been removed from us. To the point that we are no longer condemned by God. Rather, we have been received by God. We have been adopted by God. Not only are we no longer condemned by the law, but the second thing we see in this text is this, that we are no longer controlled by the law. Notice how verse 3 opens. It says, for what the law could not do. There's really two things that the law cannot do. The first thing is the law cannot save you. Even if you managed to keep the law perfectly, you still would not have a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, you're still lost. This is exactly what Jesus would teach there in John chapter 3, verse 18, when he said, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only Son of God. So the key of salvation is not what you and I do, but rather it is what Jesus did on the cross for us. That is the sole basis of us being saved in a right relationship with God. But there's a second thing that the law cannot do, and that is this, that the law cannot make us holy. It can make us moral. If you and I lived our life by the Ten Commandments, we would be moral people. But we would not be saved people. I remember uh, Diane and I had just gotten married. And for some of you younger people who are thinking about getting married, I want to give you some good advice right here, okay? We were going to go buy our first car together. And it was what was left over of the wedding present that we'd been given. And so as young 
20-year-olds, 20-somethings. We went out and we bought a minivan. Because what 25-year-old guy doesn't want a swagger wagon, right? That's my life, and I love every second of it. So we're going out, and we're van shopping. And we go to this particular place, and we have been looking at a couple of different vans, and one of the salesmen goes, hey, guys, come over here. I want to show you this van. And so he takes us over to this, this one van, and before he starts telling us everything about it, he goes, oh, hold on a second. And he opens the passenger side door, and on the floor mat of the passenger side door, there was a stain. And when we first met this guy, he had a can of spray paint in his hand. I'm like, it's kind of an odd thing for a salesman to have. Well, he goes over to and opens this door. He shakes his little spray can and shh. See, no more stain on the carpet. All right, well, I'm not buying that van. And it also, I mean, it got me to thinking, how many more stains has this guy tried to cover up? But can I tell you something? Some of you in here this morning, you have an imaginary can of spray paint. And you're spray painting yourself. You're trying to cover up the stains and the cracks and the brokenness of your life. Because you have been raised to believe that if you want to please God, you have to be a moral person. You have to be a good person who does good things. And so you're afraid when you come into church to let anybody see your brokenness. And so you cover it up. But here's the reality of it. You can spray paint all you want. And you may cover up your brokenness to us. But you are not covering up to God. It's still there. And he knows it. Jesus doesn't love you because you're perfect or you're striving for perfection. Jesus loves you because that's who he is. He didn't die for you when you became a good person. Romans 5, 8 says this, For God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we didn't think a thing about God, when we thumbed our nose at God, when we blasphemed against God, he still was willing to love us enough to die in our place. Jesus did what you and I could never do. We see it there in in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, think not that I've come to destroy the law. I haven't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And we want to understand, what does it mean to fulfill the law? Well, why did Jesus fulfill the law? Because you and I couldn't. See, you and I, we can be masters of disguise. We can portray a facade of perfection. We can think, oh, I don't lie. I don't, you know, look at somebody should and I don't steal. I don't, I don't do all of these things. But Jesus would ask this question. All right, you say you don't lie. That's okay. You say you don't steal. Just between you and God, have you ever shut down your workstation a minute early? Like it's Friday, you're getting off at 5 o'clock, you got some dinner plans, you're ready to get out of there. So 4.59, you start to shut down that computer. 
That's a minute. Have you ever looked at somebody that's not your spouse and thought, wow, they're really pretty? And thought about them later? Committed adultery. Oh, you say you don't kill anybody. Okay. You ever gotten mad at anybody and gave them a piece of your mind? Jesus said you just murdered them. All right, so we're 0 for 3. Want me to go on? Maybe you do. I don't want to go any further. I'm, ha- I'm right there. See, Jesus knew we couldn't keep the law. So he came and he fulfilled it in our place. Which means in Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus fulfilled every point of the law for us. Because he knew we wouldn't be able to do it. Some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Or I try to do good things. I treat people, you know, by the golden rule. And all of those things are good. But they will not get you to God. Because only salvation through faith makes us right with God. If I stand before God and my only reason for suggesting he should let me into heaven is what I have done, I'm in trouble. Because salvation is what Jesus did. And he did it for each and every one of us. You know, the greatest, kind of, the greatest proof that we can't save ourselves? Look at the end of verse 3. It says, In that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The very fact that Jesus came as a baby born in Bethlehem and laid down his life as the Messiah on a cross outside of Jerusalem proves that you and I cannot save ourselves. Because if you and I could be good enough to get into heaven, then Jesus died in vain. If I could do enough good works for Jesus to let me in, then why did Jesus have to come here? It would have been on me. But the very fact that the Son of God left the glory of heaven to come to this sinful, broken world to die on a cross proves that you and I can never be good enough on our own. That it's all about who Jesus is and what he has done. And this is where Satan loves to whisper his lies to us. He loves to come and tell us, you know, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that. He loves to tell us, oh, you're not good enough. You're not worthy to be a Christian. All right, so... If that's where Satan is in your life, all right, this is what I want you to tell him. You're right. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. But praise God, I don't have to be because Jesus was and is. See, stop trying to, to be good enough. Stop trying to be the perfect person. Jesus knew who you were. He died for you warts and all. His grace is greater than your sin. Romans 5, 20 said, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. And so by the glory and the grace of God, I don't have to be perfect because Jesus is. I don't have to act like I've got it all together. I can come up and I can be honest about where I am and the brokenness that's in my life and know that by the blood of Christ, I'm still forgiven. I'm still his child. No, I'm not worthy. No, I'm not good enough. And I certainly don't deserve it. But salvation isn't based on merit. It's based on the blood. 
This is the good news of Christmas that leads to Easter. That Jesus came so that we could live with him. And then we could have a relationship that apart from him coming and dying, there would be no opportunity for that. Which ultimately means this. Jesus' death in our place means one more important truth and it is this. That we are forgiven for all of our sins. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible still open, let's go to 1 John. Uh, Keep going towards the end of the New Testament. You're probably going to flip past it. Probably going to make it to the uh, book of Revelation. If so, just back it up four books. All right, book of 1 John is a letter written by an aged apostle, uh, John. And this book is written all about with one theme, how to know that you're saved. So if you have ever struggled with doubting your salvation, I want to encourage you, go to the book of 1 John. All right, so let's drop into 1 John here, and we're going to look at chapter 1 and verse 9. And it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we come to God in his prescribed way, he has promised to cleanse us and to forgive us of all our sins. Now that word cleanse doesn't just mean cover up. It means remove it. It's like you're outside in a lot of muddy conditions and you go and you wash that off. It's no longer there. This is what the blood of Christ does for the life that he saves. That's why in the prophet Isaiah chapter 1 Verse 18, he says, Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as wool. I'm going to completely remove them from you. But what does it mean to confess? It really has a twofold definition. The first one is an agreement with God that you're wrong. If you're here and you have been rejecting the grace of God, if you've been trying to get into heaven any other way than through faith, you need to agree with God that you have been wrong because there's only one way. If you are living a life, if you're a Christian and you are doing something that Scripture specifically forbids, you need to agree with God that that is wrong. That's the first part. The second part is this. We need to turn from our sin and turn to the Savior. It's the biblical word, repentance. You see, here's one of my greatest fears for many in the church of America. Because we have created a culture of easy believism. And what I mean by that is very simple. You will hear somebody give a gospel presentation, maybe through a sermon like this, and they will simply say, you need to admit that you're wrong and believe that Jesus died in your place and then publicly confess it and come up here and sign a card, say a little prayer, and boom, you're saved. Now you can go live however you want. I'm afraid that many in the church are giving a lot of people a false hope because Jesus expects more of his children. We we have talked about uh, Matthew 5, 17, that he came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the requirements of the law. That doesn't mean we get to live however we want. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. Now, does that mean that you're going to be perfect? Far from it. 
You're not going to be perfect, but you should love Jesus more than we love our sin. We should strive to love him and please him and then know that when we fail, there is forgiveness. And if you have truly come to the place where you have placed all your hope and trust in Jesus and you are striving to live to honor him, what do you have to be guilty about? Because scripture says he's cast as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103. See, we're listening more to the lies of Satan than we are the word of God. Which leads me to this question. What are we to do with this text? I want to just suggest three things here. The first one I would say is this. Accept Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means to surrender to the grace of God. It means to admit you can't save yourself. You can go to church as much as you want. You can read the Bible. You can pray. You can serve. You can give. You can go as much as you want. And you will never earn your way into heaven. But surrender to the grace of God and he adopts us. See, that message of no condemnation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that only applies to a select group of people. Now, who is that select group of people? Well, it says there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That is, those that have been saved by his grace, who have trusted in him and him alone to be saved. If you have done that, then you have been forgiven. You are no longer condemned. But if you have never surrendered to the grace of God, your sin still remains. But there's good news. You're here. Which means there's time for you to hear the truth of the word of God, to turn from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust him. To come to him in faith. There is still that time for us. Remember what it said in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Now, uh, we don't like the word just. In our society, we like fairness. Everything's got to be fair. It's got to be equal. I'm convinced it's where participation trophies came from. Okay? Listen, not everybody's a winner. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you weren't the best that day. All right, this was a lesson that my son had to learn yesterday. All right, now I'm going to use him as, an, as a quick illustration. This kid has trained for a month or so for one tournament. He would come home every day and do 50 push-ups and 50 sit-ups. Kind of was sad. Because I wish I had that drive. But he would do this, and he would go to practice an hour and a half twice a week. And he would do everything he could for one thing, and that was to wrestle at the Mountain Man Classic down in Abingdon, Virginia on Saturday, December 1st. He trained as hard as he could. And this is what my son learned yesterday. Sometimes... Some kids beat you. Now the thing is, he's a good wrestler. But he wasn't good enough 
yesterday. But not winning the belt did not change who he is. Okay? Listen, you and I, man, we're going to fail all the time. I mean, sometimes I feel like if I'm breathing, I'm failing. And Satan loves to beat me down with guilt and go, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be better. You're supposed to be all of this. And I mean, I hear all these voices in my head saying all of these things. And it's like, oh man, maybe I do need to just quit and, and go away. But then God says, wait a minute, no, 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 no. They don't get to say who you are. I do. I died for you, Justin. Suck it up. You're never going to be good enough. There's always going to be somebody who's better than you. But I don't have to compete against them. Because my Savior has accepted me as I am. And he is changing me every single day. I don't have to play the competition game anymore. I don't have to lose sleep over personal opinions. All I have to do is one thing. To live for the glory of my Savior. If I've pleased him, I can lay my head down at night and know it is well. And when I fail, I can say, Lord, I messed up. Thank you for your forgiveness. The second thing I would say is this. Remember this. You are forgiven. Again, some of you are carrying around an incredible amount of guilt. I'm going to pick on him again because I can see him. He cried after he lost. He was upset. He said, I failed. No, you didn't. You just didn't win today. But it doesn't change who you are. You are my son. And I will always love you. Now, where did I learn that? From my heavenly father. If there's ever been, I mean, let's just be really honest. If there's ever been anybody who should walk away from me, there are two people. God and my wife. And yet, for reasons known only to God himself, they both keep coming after me. Because they love. Because their love for me is not defined by what I do, but rather who I am to them. Some of you are, your faith is so paralyzed right now. You, you're saying things like, I know God loves me, but. I, I want to do this, but. You're listening to the lies of Satan over the truth of the word of God. Time and time again. And it is time for you to understand what God has said he has done. Psalm 103.12 says this. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sins from us. Now, why did he use the words east from the west? See, I'm, I'm a biblical literalist, which simply means I believe God meant everything he said. And he chose east from the west for a reason. And that reason is this. Let's say that you leave... Here, and you go about 30 minutes 
to Roanoke, that big metropolis, and you go to that regional airport, and you get on that really small plane, and you start flying, and you're flying north. You will fly north until you have crossed over the North Pole, at which time you will then begin, you're right, to fly south. However, if you go to that same metropolis and get on that same little plane, and you start to fly east, as long as your plane continues to go in the same direction, you will always be flying east. So what does it mean that east is from the west? It means that God has removed our sins so far from us, it's as though they never happened. That's what God has done for those who have come in faith to him. And finally, I would say this. Serve Christ out of gratefulness for saving you. We often talk about, are we saved by faith or by works? Well, let's talk about it this way. In 23 days, we're going to celebrate Christmas. When do you tell the person who gives you a gift, thank you? Do you tell it before they ever give it to you or after you've opened it and looked at it? After we've looked at it. We're grateful for, for that gift. If I was to walk up to Harry and go, hey, Harry, thank you for my gift, and he hasn't given it to me, then what I'm saying is this, Harry, I am so good, you should give me a gift. That's presumptuous. And yet that is how we often treat God. We try to work our way into heaven as though God should allow us into heaven just because of what we did. But when I come in grace and receive that gift of Jesus' death in my place, and I say, thank you for saving me by trying to live my life to his glory and to bring as many people into the kingdom as he will allow me to. Now I'm not trying to be saved by works. I'm working because God has saved me. And so I would ask you this morning, what step do you take? Can you be honest if you've never accepted Christ? I'm not asking if you go to church. Obviously you do. I'm asking, has there been that point in which you understood that you were a sinner? And that as hard as you could try, you could never get into heaven. But Jesus died so that there would be a way. Have you surrendered to that grace? Are you living with guilt over the sins that God has already forgiven you for? Are you living in such a way that you may say you're a Christian, but your life denies him? Again, if we love him, our life is going to demonstrate it. Maybe that's what you need to confess this morning. Maybe in just a little bit as, as the Sarah plays and the ladies sing, Maybe you just need to get alone with God and go, you know, Lord, I say I'm a Christian, but my life sure look like it. I've been trying to spray paint over my brokenness. Maybe you're going, you know what? God has given me this incredible gift, and I'm wasting it. 
God has given me a gift and he's given me a passion. And I just want to use it for him just as a way to say thank you. See, every child of God has a spiritual gift. And every gift is equally important. But the question is, are you using it? So what step do you need to take? Let's take it together. Would you stand as we're going to pray together? Father, God, as 